ministry of the church, we would love to invite you uh, to that as well. If you have a Bible, let me ask you to join me in Matthew chapter number 6. And I'm going to jump right into things uh, this morning, Matthew chapter number 6. We are in our second Sunday on prayer. So last week we, we started by just simply at, trying to answer the question, what is prayer? It's so important because if, if we have the wrong definition of prayer, then we're going to have the wrong expectations of prayer. You know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna assume God should do this, and when God doesn't do that, we, we get very frustrated at that. It's, it reminds me of the man uh, who recently purchased a, a very expensive parrot for his, his mother. Uh, his mom lived alone, and so for Mother's Day, he wanted to be an encouragement. So he, he was going to purchase, I forget, one of, the, what a, one of those very, very expensive South, South American parrots. And so he had it shipped to her home. This, this parrot can easily learn uh, language and even be able to communicate a little bit. And so he had it shipped to her house. And on Mother's Day, he called her and said, hey, mom, what'd you think of the bird? And his mom, well, she replied, said, well, honey, it was, it was a little small, but it certainly tasted good. <laughs> yeah, uh, wrong expectations uh, on that one, right? When we have the wrong understanding of prayer and what prayer is supposed to do, I promise you it will, it will lead us to a life of prayerlessness, and we don't want to be there. So last week we had said this, that prayer is calling on God to come through on his promised word. Far more than just asking God and then waiting for to receive from God. It, rather, we, we see prayer as the time when we approach the most worthy, the most powerful, the most faithful being in the world. One whose very nature is goodness and love. And we approach that being with his own word and say, come through on what you already said you will do. And that's what we looked at last week is understanding what prayer is. It's, it's similar to, you know, how many of you parents, uh, maybe you, you're, you're going to take your kids out for ice cream that evening but you don't let on at all in the morning because if you tell your kids in the morning we're going to go out for ice cream today they're going to ask you all day long are we going to go 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 no question if you're going to go because you promised you said it but when are we going to when, when are we going to now us men don't have that problem you know when we ask our wives how much longer till you're ready uh, we, we don't have to keep asking that question. We just go turn the Star Wars movie on, wait the two and a half hours, and finally, you know, they're, they're ready to go out the door. But with God, he promised, he's faithful, it will come to pass. And so in prayer, we come saying, you've said it, Lord, come through on your word. I think what's tragic is that many people, though, we have this understanding of prayer that is similar to rubbing a genie's lamp. We've all seen the movie where uh, the, someone rubs a genie's lamp and that genie pops out and gives them three wishes. Prayer's not like that at all. For two reasons. One, uh, genies are fictitious and, and our God isn't. But two, when, we go to a, when people go to a genie to ask their, for their wish, they always say what they want. In prayer, what we should be doing is approaching God, asking for him to come through on what he truly wants. And it's, it's one of those moments where we have to understand that prayer is, 
is not just coming to God for what I want. It's not to tell God what I want. But it's asking God to do what he already wants to do. And I know you might be sitting there thinking, well, how do I know what God wants to do? He gave you his word. Which is why as we're walking through this biblical church series, we started with the worth of God knowing that he is the creator, the greatest being, and we have that creator's word. So now in prayer, we just approach the great being with his word and we say we know what you want bring it to pass maybe through me so today what we're going to look at is we're going to spend some time in in the lord's prayer it's called the lord's prayer but interestingly jesus does not actually pray this prayer he's teaching his disciples how to pray to god and so in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 5, is where we're going to start. And what I find so interesting is that before Jesus gets into how to pray, he pauses to teach his disciples how not to pray. But let's read the whole thing, beginning in Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 5. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so Jesus' first instructions is don't pray as the hypocrites and i think we all have this general idea of what hypocrite is i don't think i'm going to teach you anything new but i just want to read you the definitionary from the dictionary of what definitionary oh my goodness excuse me that's not even a word uh I'm, actually i said this morning I, I, in the first service i said i'm going to read you what the encyclopedia says and i don't know that you'd actually find anyways um i will read you the definition of hypocrite from the de uh, dictionary a person i get this a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings someone who acts differently than what they say so what jesus is saying when he says don't pray he's saying don't say something that is going to be in contradiction to the way you live how many of us pray for god's glory to be displayed throughout the whole world but we don't even live for god's glory to be displayed in our world and God's not, well, what Jesus is not saying is don't pray it unless you live it. He's saying live it. So when you come to pray it, you're not as the hypocrites. And what I, what I found so interesting about this passage and the next two verses is that what I find interesting is that hypocrites pray. So just because you pray doesn't make you a great Christian. Because hypocrites pray and what jesus says about them is that they love to pray they love to stand and pray and they actually have their prayer answered wait how can a hypocrite have their prayer answered because here's what he says they receive their reward because men see them wait now you a hypocrite's not praying for people to see them right see the way they live 
is I want someone to see me. The way they pray is for God to be seen, but then since they're hypocrites, it's what they live that really matters, and God says they've received their reward. People see them, but you don't be like the hypocrite. Go to your closet and pray, because the only one who really needs to see will see you in that closet. It's not, prayer's not about what people see or even what people hear. Then I don't know about you, but I sometimes find myself when I have to pray in public more worried about how people will perceive me than about what I'm actually saying to God. Hypocrite. But then Jesus goes on and he says in verse number seven, and when you pray, do not heap up empty, uh, empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. And I says, don't be like the Gentiles. And some of your translations may read heathen or pagan. And when you see heathen or pagan, what should immediately come to mind is that's the worship of false gods. And it doesn't just mean an idol of stone or wood, but rather there is something that we are placing above the worth of God in our life. And so God says, don't pray to me like the Gentiles. And yet how many Christians we go to prayer, but to be honest, we live a life where money and possessions and career and pleasure is a far greater God to us than the God. And again, he's not saying don't go to God if these idols are in your life. He's saying remove the idols from your life to know who is the only God. And after saying that, he drops this truth bomb that really messes with the understanding of prayer. He says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Well, I thought prayer was all about asking and receiving. That just leads us to this question. I'm so sorry. I'm come back to that. If God already knows my needs, why do I have to pray? I mean if what jesus said is true and we know what jesus said is true god knows your needs so why do you then need to be called to prayer why do we as a church need to gather together why do we have prayer meetings why do people spend all night praying why are we even called to fast and pray if god already knows our need it's such an interesting question and jesus provides the answer as he always does as he begins the pattern of prayer for disciples look at what jesus says in verse 9 pray then like this and i realize each translation is going to read a little different this is the esv pray then like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven of our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, you, you know what amazes me 
75 words or less. Jesus sums up prayer. You know how many men have, and how many people have written books that are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages about prayer? How many preachers, like the one in front of you, will spend half an hour? Now we've spent two weeks talking about prayer, and Jesus simply sums up, the Son of God sums up prayer in 75 words. One author said about this, it's his, his prayer, the way he gives us a pattern, shows us that God is not interested in the length of our prayers, but in the strength of our prayers. And so this morning, let's just unpack this, this beautiful Lord's prayer. Starts off with these words, our Father in heaven. If you, have a, if you have a Bible open, I want you just to look back where Jesus begins the Sermon in the, on the Mount in chapter number 5. And look at chapters number 5 and 6. And I want you to notice the pronouns that you will find all throughout the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You will find the pronouns you and your over and over. You and your and you and your. And suddenly when he gets to how we are to pray, it's no longer you and your. It is our. You know what that says? Not only is Jesus inviting us into the same relationship that he shares with God, Father, but, but, but also he continues this use of plural pronoun all throughout the prayer, which means this, even if you go to God in secret, like Jesus says, if you go to God on your own, you are never to go for your own, always on behalf of the biblical community in which God has placed you. As we go to prayer, we say in community, our Father. I absolutely love that. Also, when we go to God and we begin with this communal thought instead of this individual thought, And we start to pray for us instead of me, for we instead of I. Do you understand that when when we ask God to do what he has already promised to do, and we begin to receive abundance, then we already have our hearts and our minds trained that this is not for me, this is for us. Our. I love he uses the word father. You understand he could have used any word he wanted to. Our creator, our master. No. He he chooses to give us this understanding of the relationship that we step into, a father. And so what Jesus does by using the words our father, he was teaching people that your personal relationship with God is not for your personal benefit alone. I'm approaching my father, but I'm approaching our 
Father, the one who did create the heavens and the earth. And as we've quoted numbers of times now from Jeremiah, Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and thine outstretched arm. Nothing is impossible for thee. So we go to that great being, but we go to him as if he's our dad. I love being with my kids. My kids need something that I can provide them. I'll give it to them. But you know what means most to me? Is just being with my kids. And that's how Jesus describes how we are to approach God. I realize for some people, they hear the word father, and, and, and there's either been an absent father or, a, or a, a difficult relationship with a father. But if you want to know what does God mean by father, and you want to see it, just look to Luke 15, where you find the, pro, the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son's father is representing God. And in that story, God generously gives to this rebellious son who runs off and squanders it away. And when that son comes back, the father runs to meet him with joy and brings him back home and lavishes upon him and then when he sits at the party and the older brother doesn't want to come to the party the father steps out to that prideful boy and says come i want to see reconciliation between my sons that's the picture of the father we go to when we pray and begin our father the one who runs after the rebel and the one who humbly goes after the prideful to bring his children into reconciliation. That's how this prayer starts. Then he says in heaven. Oh, you know what that, all, that, all that tells us is is that great God that, that is our father. He's the one who, who sits in, enthroned in heaven. And as Psalm 115 says, our God is in the heaven. He does all that he pleases. There's no greater power, no greater authority than our Father in heaven, which means not only is he compassionate as a dad, he is as capable as any. That's who you're invited J.I. Packer said this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. And he goes on to say this, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Our Father, who art in heaven. That's how it starts. May I ask you, if you know you have the ear and attention and also the heart and loving kindness of the most powerful being in the world, what would you ask for? Well, Jesus tells us what we should ask for as he continues. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and so jesus lays out this truth as he begins this prayer what do i pray for and here's what we need to understand that jesus is saying you and i are not the center of our prayers 
Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. And I'm just going to be as honest and transparent as I can be. That ain't how I pray. Man, I pray for all these things right down the line that I want. And I, I, skipped the, 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 I skipped the quote, but I had it earlier. And it, it said, one of the pastors, he, he said that, that God is not a genie to fund our idolatry. Think through that for just a moment. God is not a genie to fund our idolatry. We don't go to God and say, give me more money so I could spend more of life doing me. We go to God and we say, it's, it's about you, it's, it's, it's your name, and it's your kingdom, and it's your will. The first thing he says is, hallowed be your name. We just sang, at your name. To a camp trip or uh, go for a sports trip or something like that. When I was in junior high and high school, he started coming in. He'd sit, uh, I, he would, I would sit on the edge of the bed. And he would look at me and he, it, my dad's, my dad was a man of few words. And it was this simple before I went and did something. Hey boy, remember your name took a long time to build it and it takes a moment to ruin it remember your name i cannot tell you the countless times i heard that simple statement remember your name how often do we think that we carry the name of christ and that he went to the greatest lengths to make his name great and we as his followers, we as his children can ruin the name and the reputation of our great God by our sinful, prideful, self-centered actions and words in the world around us. How many times have we ever heard, I thought you were a Christian? And I know nobody's perfect. I get it. But we cannot forget we are Christians. One of the great commandments was do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And that doesn't just mean don't curse. In fact, that has very little to do with it. I'm reading through the book of Ezekiel right now. And in Ezekiel, I, I came across, and I'm going to share the passage with you in just a moment. But in Ezekiel, I see, I was, was, was reading through this two weeks ago as I was studying through this, and I saw, wow, this is so clear right here. God is doing what God does because of his name. Ezekiel 36, you don't need to turn there. I'll have the behind me. But God comes to the prophet Ezekiel to explain everything that's going to happen to my people. The fact that I'm going to have to move them out of the promised land where I brought them. But the fact that I'm going to bring them back one day, it's all about my name and how you have profaned it, but how I will vindicate it. Just, just follow this passage. Ezekiel 36, verse number 20 says this. But when they, that they is now the nation of Israel. And he's talking to Ezekiel. But when they came, Israel came to the nations, wherever Israel came, Israel profaned my holy name. In that people said of Israel, they are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I, 
God says, had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their Israel should have lived in such a way with such awe and glory to God that people around them said, wow, what a people, you're so different, what a God you serve. But instead, God had to punish them, leaving not the people to feel uh, the, the, the disappointment of others around them, but for God, for people to look at Israel and go, you have such a weak God. God said, I'm going to dismiss you from the land I've given you. I will bring you back, but I'm not going to bring you back for your sake. I'm going to bring you back so that I can vindicate my holy name in the eyes of everyone in this world around me. How often do we think that our lives represent his name? We will remember that when we pray, hallowed be your because then that can control our actions. But then he says, your kingdom come. How many of our prayer requests are about our kingdom? Building our kingdom. God, I, God I, if you do everything I ask you to do, and if you give me everything I ask you to give me, I'm really going to speak highly of you. Isn't that about our kingdom? What does it mean to pray for God's kingdom to come? Does this mean I'm just looking to the future when, when Jesus is going to return in great power to set up his, his reign? I mean, yeah, but that's not it. The kingdom of God is when God's people are in God's place, under God's rule, living for God's glory. That's the kingdom of God. That means we can bring the kingdom of God down when we as his people align ourselves under his desires and we're living for his glory. That's the kingdom of God coming. And we can even help the kingdom of God move across the earth as we make disciples to find more of God's people living under God's rule for God's glory. That's why our mission as a church is to be that disciple-making community so that we see his kingdom come here in our presence and there where our presence goes. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, I'm just going to be transparent. A lot of my prayers are like, God, my will be done. Do what I want you to do. Not worrying about his will. One pastor drew a parallel to praying like this, to praying for your will to be done. He said, it's similar to what a young child would ask of an absentee father, one who was a part of the home and has separated himself, but sends the monthly check every month. And anytime that kid wants a gift, that father just gives him whatever he wants, but there's no relationship. And how many times do we go to God saying, here's what I want now, Rather than saying, as Jesus did in the garden, Father, 
let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, thine be done. How many times do we ever pray, God, your will be done in my life no matter the cost? We don't pray that because we're too busy praying, God, my will be done. So as Jesus wraps up this beginning of the prayer, we come back to this question, well, if God already knows what I need, then why do I have to pray? Ha, it's very easy at this point to understand. You and I are never going to pray like that unless we get to the Father and ask for his help. Jesus teaches us to pray like this. Not because God needs our help to accomplish his will. But we go to him in prayer because without God's help, we'll never desire his will. And what we desire determines what we pray. You and I will never pray, thy name be hallowed. <laughs> we'll never pray that because we're going to live for our name to be hallowed. We're going to live for our reputation. We're never going to pray for his kingdom. We're going to pray for our kingdom. We're not going to pray for his. We're going to be praying for our will. But how different could our lives and our marriages and our churches be if we were to say, you already know everything that I need. The reason I'm coming to you in prayer is not because I got to tell you, but because I have to align my heart with where your heart already is. Because God, far away from you, my heart is all about me. But you desire my heart to be about your glory. Glory, and I can't be about your glory without your help. So I'm coming to you in prayer so that your glory can be seen by you accomplishing what you've already said in your word and do it in me. That's so different than saying, help my hurting foot to feel better. so some people may say, so shouldn't, shouldn't pray for myself? No, I'm not saying that because look at how Jesus ends. Give us this day our daily bread. That's, that's for ourselves. Let me ask you this question. How, how many of you regularly, maybe not every time, but you regularly pray before you eat? Would you raise a hand? I regularly pray before I eat. Great. Don't raise your hand on this one. How many of you regularly pray for something to eat? I mean, that, that little passage right there doesn't say that I'm supposed to give thanks. I'm supposed to ask. We don't have needs. I promise you just about, I would assume 100% of the people in here, you go home, you got some food in your fridge. So then, it doesn't say, give me my daily bread. We're going to God on behalf of our biblical community saying, God, give us as a community, a biblical community, desiring your glory. Give us 
our daily bread. And what that means is when you have enough daily bread, we look to see people who don't. And because we've been praying for our biblical community to be fed, and because people in our biblical community are, being pray, are praying to have something to eat, huh, we get to step into their lives, and we get to say, God has blessed me in abundance, not for me to put more in my own, but for me to have his will answered, which is for all of us to be cared for. I had a friend in Michigan. His, he was just telling me that the most cool story. His church was about $40,000 from being able to pay off their mortgage. They were really excited. And one person in their church, one person said to the church in a prayer meeting, I'm going to give my stimulus check to the church. We're going we're gonna to help try to pay off the mortgage a little early. Oh. When he said that, someone else said, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. And in one Sunday, a small little rural church in Michigan, everybody brought the abundance that God had given them, this stimulus check, and they brought it to the church, and they paid off that $40,000 mortgage in one Sunday because it was a community that wasn't saying, give me mine, but give us Ours. And when I have mine, I'm going to look to fill others. Give us our daily bread. Huh. I remember I was, I was a Bible college student, and uh, we it was at church, and we had a really long, wide auditorium. And I remember stepping into the, the, the doorway, into the auditorium, and all the way across I saw my high school Bible teacher sitting in the back row over there, and for whatever reason, the Lord prompted me to give him $20. When you're a Bible college student, 20 bucks is last, like, that's a lot of money. But God said to do it, so I folded up $20 in my hand, and I was going to go shake his hand, and God moved him to get up and he started walking about the same time that I was doing this and we met almost near the front of the church and, and I just stuck my hand out and said hey Mr. Harold shook his hand and kept walking that was it that was a Wednesday evening Sunday morning uh, my my high school algebra teacher I was again I was in college but she was my algebra teacher she walked right up to me and she stuck her hand out and she wanted to shake my hand and I was uh, I she said, shake my hand. So I shook her hand, and after I shook her hand, she looked down, and she said, there's no money. <laughs> and I, again, I, I'm, what are, what are you talking about? She's like, oh, well, Mr. Harold told all the staff what happened on Saturday, or on, on Wednesday. And I was like, oh, okay. And I tried to, to get away from there. She goes, no, 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 you need to hear the story. She said he was sitting in the back. He told us he was sitting in the back row of the auditorium getting ready to move to his seat before the service started. And he opened up his wallet because we always took a others offering on Wednesday. So it was for someone else. And he, when he opened up his wallet, he had a $1 bill and a $5 bill. And he's like, oh, God, $1 just doesn't seem like much. But $5 for a Christian school teacher, that's a lot of money. He said, but I knew God was telling me to give $5, so I took the $5 out of my pocket, put it out of my wall, put it in my pocket, got up, went to my seat, met Brian at the front of the church. He shook my hand, put a $20 bill in my hand, and kept walking. And he said, I looked down at that and said, God, thank you. 
for being so faithful. So when he stood and told the staff about that, think of what they thought of God's name. It was out. Because two people, unbeknownst to one another, and I'm not trying to lift myself up, I just happen to be part of the story, but because two people were saying, God, we want your kingdom to come. He wants it because he wants to give to others. And, and I want it because, well, I want to give to him. And so he brings us together. And guess what happens? When his will is done, as we both give, his name is glorified. He is seen to be a great and mighty God that cares for a man who gave more than he had and who sees me. I get to rejoice that I was an answer to a prayer that wasn't even prayed. That's all about him. Ooh. And it's all about us asking for our daily bread. He says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. But pastor, you know, once we go to Christ for salvation, like our sins are wiped away, both past, past sins and future sins, I don't need to go ask forgiveness of my sins again. And you're right, and the eternal, eternal punishment is taken care of when you come to Christ for salvation. But 1 John chapter 1 tells us that our sins still create a distance in our fellowship with God, which is why we need to regularly confess our sins. And he's unfaithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I come back asking for forgiveness so that it clears the way between me and God. But it also reminds me what God did for me. Because the longer it takes for me to go back and look at the forgiveness that God has given to me, the easier it is to harbor bitterness and fail to offer forgiveness to others. But when you return morning after morning after morning after morning after morning of the who God is and how he has forgiven you, <laughs> the easier it becomes to offer forgiveness to others. And he closes by the statement, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so it's God's taken care of your sins in the past. He will protect you. We are asking his protection for sins in the future. So what does all this mean? Let me just wrap it up. It means we pray. We pray. We pray both corporately and individually. And as we pray, we pray for his name to be glorified, for his kingdom to come, and for his will to be done. And you won't pray for this if you don't regularly come in prayer. The longer you stay from prayer, the more it will be about you and less about him. So we return regularly, individually, in our closet, corporately as a church. And we pray for his name to be glorified, his kingdom to come, his will to be done. We also pray corporately and individually for his presence, for his provision, and for his protection to be experienced in our biblical community. For us, the biblical community is our church. We pray for everyone here, not just for me, to experience his presence, for God to provide and to protect everyone here. And we rejoice when he does. And then we pray corporately and individually for our daily needs for daily forgiveness and for daily direction 
and we approach him knowing he knows my needs. Pray about anything you want to. I'm not trying to keep you from saying anything. Take it all to the Lord. You have a spirit. The spirit makes intercession for you. You pray anything you want to, but when you approach the throne, just don't forget he already knows what you have need of. He's inviting you to come to him because you'll never want what he wants unless you come to him. So why pray? Because we need his heart. So I gave you this on, on your seat. Some, some people, if, if, if others were sitting there in the, in the first service, you don't have it, I apologize. There's, there's plenty uh, spread out. But, but I gave you this so that you can, after these two weeks, if you want to pray, you know how. The front gives you one, one method of praying. There's plenty, but this is just one. It's called Acts. It's adoration, where you start by telling God how great he is. Confession, you tell God what you've done wrong. Thanksgiving, you thank God for what he has already done. Notice we haven't asked for one thing yet. We've praised him, we've confessed our sin, and we've thanked him. And then we come in supplication, or, or, or we come asking on behalf, not of just you, but on behalf of our biblical community. That's one way you can pray. In the inside, there's a hundred different prayer promises. Uh, all based off scripture where you can look and you can call upon God to come through on his word So if you need something that's there you call upon him to answer his Promises and then on the back especially for those of you that have children But this will be for any of you if you're ever in a moment and you have a few seconds to pray pull your hand out And just watch you take that thumb and you turn it towards your heart and you first you pray for those who are closest to your heart You pray for your friends and family and your church family. You, you pray for that Then you take that index finger and you remember that this is a this is a finger of authority Pray for those over whom you have rule and all oh and for those who have rule over your friends and family That middle finger is the tallest one and it's the largest one So it's the one that sits with highest authority So we're praying for our government those who sit in places of authority our, our our ring finger is our weakest finger And so that reminds us to pray for those who are weak and sick and then last and least Is that little pinky you pray for yourself? But if you just have a few minutes you just use that hand to, to pray for So you can use this to pray but then the last thing I want to invite you It's very last minute But on tuesday evening i'm going to come to the church to pray And, and here's here's what i'm going to do just so you understand if you come from 6 30 to 7 It's going to be silent in here except for a little music. It's just going to be individual prayer. You pray on your own And then from 7 to 7 30, we're going to gather together in our biblical community. We're going to pray corporately for God I know that we're all busy and I know this is a crazy time of year with school ending So I don't want anybody to like to feel bad if you can't be here I'm just going to be here on tuesday 6 30 to 7 30 for prayer. I invite you to come if you want to come That's all But if you want to be here, uh, we'll be here and, and no one's going to think that you don't care about prayer if you're not here It is simply an opportunity to pray But if you can't be here, may I encourage you go to that closet and pray as the Father who sees in secret will reward.